Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is Alyssa Hall. Alyssa is the CMO of CDI company, I'll be honest, I hadn't heard of before, but now I can't look away from. This is a company in the IT integration space that has experienced tremendous growth. They went over the last number of years from about 250 million in revenue annually to just around a billion in revenue annually. And this has happened through some of the leadership that Alyssa has been able to bring in. This is a company that's gone through multiple acquisitions to grow, but has brought together a really authentic group, a group that as Alyssa describes is focused on doing what you love and having a passion for that. And at the same time, what we talk about is going out of your comfort zone. In Alyssa's case, she was very much a brand marketer. If you look at her resume, a lot of focus in communications. And as much as that helps her in this role today, there was a requirement for her to go outside of that comfort zone and become a more data-driven marketer. She talks about the way she's using data today and very openly talks about the way she's learned to become dangerous, whether it's a system like Salesforce, Zoom Info, various different tools that she's using to better understand her buyer and in turn create better, more relevant experiences. Here's our chat on The Marketer's Journey. Alyssa, I'm so thrilled that you are here. I want to get from you when you first wanted to be a CMO. Like, when did that become the goal in your career? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I've, I've listened to all the other podcasts, that, and I know I'm in really great company here, so I appreciate even being invited. Um, and to answer your question, I uh, it wasn't some like long-term life goal. It wasn't I wasn't in marketing thinking one day I want to be the CMO. I wanted to be happy. I wanted to be comfortable at a company. I wanted to feel successful, which to me is, are those two things, feel, being happy and feeling like I'm contributing um, and making someplace better. But it was during my time at CDI, really, as we kept growing and the department grew and the company grew and the responsibilities grew. And I was watching my peers all step into their next phase and, and executive level positions. I think it was at that point that I thought to myself, well, I'm doing the job. If they're doing the job that's leading them to C-level, I'm definitely doing the job that would be C-level here. And that was really when I got it kind of in my head that that was my goal. So you're now with a company called CDI, and I'm going to get you to tell people what they do just in a moment. But this, this is a company with fantastic scale uh, in terms of the size of the organization, the way it's grown over the last number of years. Uh, you shared with me earlier going from 250 million in revenue to nearly a billion, uh, 200 employees to 700 employees. I, I'm curious, was the mindset when you came to CDI that this is where I'll become CMO? Because you didn't come in there as CMO, you earned that opportunity. That it was now my mindset. Again, I um, I came in. I think I came in at AVP level, and I was just making a, a career move. I mean, it was I've never actually worked in the same industry twice. So, I was coming out of my manufacturing phase in roofing, 
And <laughs> this, they had, uh, I guess, found me on LinkedIn and and reached out, and I went through the interviewing process, and it just sounded like a really interesting opportunity to me. So it, it didn't it didn't have a stamp on it like this is where I'll be come CMO. It just sounded like this is a place that has an opportunity for me to leave my mark and make a difference. And I could not possibly have known when I started there, what, what would happen over the course of just a few years and the growth and the ability to, you know, really step up and become a leader within marketing. Um, so I didn't come into it knowing that, but I've definitely enjoyed the ride. That's a, that's amazing. Now I want to dig a little deeper before I do can you just, just for the purpose of our conversation today, people who don't know CDI, what is the offer that you have for, for your buyers? Sure. Well, we are, we're an IT solutions integrator. So we help them build out all of their IT needs from infrastructure through digital transformation, through security and managed services, anything that a business needs in order to have its IT uh, systems run smoothly, we come in and we architect from beginning to end. So really what we're selling is our expertise, our thought leadership, and our ability to work with you know, the many partners I just mentioned we have to build out the best solutions for each independent client that we have. So I'm not even going to try and go to the, how did you convince them to hire you coming from roofing and manufacturing? That's probably a, a story for another day, but but I am curious to double click on the the mindset that you came there, you started to see some of your peers able to be the CMO. How did you advocate for yourself and earn that opportunity to be identified as the next CMO for a company that's now doing nearly a billion in revenue? Sure. Um, well, when we went into COVID, that's that was when we were at the, I think, you know, 220, 250 million that I had mentioned. Uh, and over the course of three years, we acquired seven companies. And that's how we have just kind of multiplied in size of employees and in size of revenue. And it was during that time that everything obviously really shifted from what was, you know, kind of a comfortable marketing role. There was definitely growth. I, I, I never felt bored. I never felt like there was no challenge. But we kind of had our our thing going. We knew what events we were going to do each year. We knew what campaigns worked. And then, you know, zag, well, COVID happened. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly it's, oh my gosh, how do we pivot everything to virtual events? And there, there's just no way we could have known that with it would come such growth. So really, that gave me the opportunity to, to step into a leadership position, which I, I mean, it's one thing you could, you could have all kinds of nice titles that sound like leadership, but I think the more people that are on your team and the more challenges like integrations and acquisitions that you're going through, you really get the opportunity to step into that. And it was a role that I ended up really enjoying. I really love this team. I love leading this team. And um, the things that we have been able to achieve as we grow are incredible to me. They're, they're kind of, they're just limitless. The more people that we are able to bring into it, the more we're able to pull off and, and keep this, this reputation that we've been building um, as really stellar marketers. And as I kind of stepped back and like I said, I was watching other people go from, you know, whatever their, their president or VP role was into a C-suite role. 
I really looked back at what I'd achieved or, or what the team really had achieved in terms of handling that growth, whether again, it's the number of people, it's the the markets that we were playing into, the number of events that we were doing at any given time. And the fact that through all these integrations and gaining all these people from different places along the way, we end up having this like ridiculously happy team. This It's a love fest every day. I'm just not even lying right now. I'm not exaggerating. And I thought, well, I must be doing something right. I mean, this is, this is leading a team and, and we're now this huge company. So um, we have a leadership coach that we all work with and he always says, do the job you want before you have it. And I really just looked back and thought, this is what it is. I mean, you could look at a job description and I'm fulfilling it. So I'm just going to go in and ask. And that's literally what happened. It was just a phone call where I asked. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I love so many elements of that, but the, the part, you know, other than gushing over, over the way you explained <laughs> that. And, and you know, I'm sure that a lot of people looking at the careers page right now for CDI to join the love fest. But when, when you describe going through seven acquisitions, you know, especially in a time where, many people weren't getting to meet each other in person. Yeah. I'm curious from a leadership perspective, what are some of the tips that you can provide to people to bring these teams together? Because, you know, growing is, as we talked about from, you know, four times the size of a company that was already 250 million. I mean, that is massive growth. And usually you hear more of dysfunction as you bring various pieces together versus the harmony. So what were some of the leadership elements that you think really created a, a tighter knit group? That's a great question. Um, well, some of it I think was a little circumstantial in that during COVID, granted you're not, you're not in offices together, although we were all spread out, so we wouldn't have been in the same office, but I think having your camera on and having your true life happening behind you like I have a cat tower behind me. Nobody, I don't think anyone in my office would think I was a cat lady, but now the truth is out there. And, you know, we all just between kids and pets and things going on and the doorbell ringing, there's an authenticity to your relationship and a, and a friendship that developed more organically than it might have otherwise. We had a rule that I don't think is a rule anymore, but in my team, we kind of just still do it, which was that cameras on at that time. So we really were just kind of living in each other's lives as, you know, the kids come home from school right behind me and walk through the room and we just got very close. So that was part of it. Um, from a leadership perspective, I don't even know that I, I thought it through in terms of like, this is what a, a good leader in this situation would do. It just is what happened. But as people would join the team, we would go through this exercise with each person. What do you currently do? What do you love the most about what you do? And if you had to shed, you had the opportunity to get rid of some things that you do, what would those things be? And we really tried to craft everybody's roles in the department around that. And as you get bigger and you need to scale, some things have to shift a little bit. You know, you can't have, have someone straddling really disparate things because that that won't scale. But we've just managed somehow. I mean, even now we had someone go out on maternity leave and we, we, we lost one member of the team and we're backfilling and it's an opportunity to say, all right, before I write this job description, 
what is it you love? And if you wanted to get rid of something, what would it be? Or is there something you you like that you're interested in that I can take out of the job description and we can move over to you? And through that process over and over and over again with all all seven companies and now again, just even without any acquisitions, but simply in hiring alone, it has just been this magical kind of system where everybody gets to, for the most part, keep the stuff they like, dabble in something new if they want to, or say, I'm this, I'm not interested in this piece anymore. I absolutely love that response. I, I mean, first of all, I love that a cat walked by more or less as you were talking about the first piece. Uh, yeah, it was, it was so well-timed. Uh, people won't see that as an audio-only podcast, but the cat entered on cue. But you know, more so this mentality, I think of there's not one perfect job description for people and the ability to allow people to focus on what they love, uh, you know, really brings out the best in people and the best in a team. The key is obviously having that mesh of skills that complement each other um, and match to your go to market. So speaking of go to market, we're going to take a break here on the podcast. We'll be right back with Alyssa and we're going to talk a little bit about the buyer journey that she's mapped at CDI. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. When you hear Alyssa describe the opportunity to focus on the work you love, we're all probably taking a step back and looking at the next job that we want. Now, maybe the opportunity is, as she said, to have these conversations with your employees, have these conversations with your manager to say, this is what I'm best at. This is what I love. This is where I can add the most value. And if we take that approach, we can actually start as a leader to assemble the best team possible. By doing this, we put people in positions to succeed and in turn the company to succeed. Now, that doesn't mean, as she says, that we stay within those safe guardrails. We have to take chances. We have to go outside our comfort zone. In the second half of this podcast, you'll hear Alyssa talk about some of the risks she had to take to adjust herself to be a CMO today. And I think all of us need to do that in whatever role we're in. So love what you do, but get a little uncomfortable at the same time. Lisa, no offense meant by this, but when I look at your resume, you come off as someone who's always been in communications and brand, and as you said, really perfect match for the type of company CDI is, all around thought leadership and integration. Is that worked transitioning to the CMO of a company that, again, I'm going to keep saying it, is doing about a billion in revenue? I am sure that uh, no one in my company will mind you saying that over and over again. And I am not offended by the question, but um, 
yes, it has. There are definitely shifts in the the things that I'm having to to work on or cover that take me out of my comfort zone. I mean, we are really focused as a company, not just the marketing team, but the whole company on being very data driven as, as many companies are, I think now, and that is not my comfort zone. I'm not an analyst. I don't have a background. I'm doing that. I've, I've kind of gotten away with writing nice things and making pretty pictures and that kind of marketing. Right. Um, so it has been very interesting. I mean, we have within marketing, we have our partner business team who work with all the partners and their marketing initiatives together. We have our content and branding team doing the pretty pictures and words and a lot more than that too. But, and then we actually have a marketing operations crew within our department. And that is all the numbers, all the data, all the analysis. So it's something that I've had to kind of spend time learning and, and um, I'm still constantly trying to, I sit in on every meeting I can to just try and overhear what's going on and learn by osmosis. I love uh, owning that and adapting as a leader, as, as you're saying, uh, you know, one of our core values when we actually revisited our core values at Uberflip was and is today to make data-driven decisions. And, you know, sometimes you have to force yourself there if it's not perhaps in your original DNA, because that's the type of marketing that's expected in organizations when, when you talk about embracing data, maybe you can give us some actual examples of the type of data you've been able to surface and where that's coming from in the organization or from your buyers and how it's changing some of the decisions you're making. Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, some of it is truly just um, you're sending out surveys to, to our database and learning what issues they're encountering, learning how they like to take in their information. Do they read blogs? Do they watch videos? Um, what are they interested in? Is, is it sports? Is it music? So we can tailor our events around this or our incentives for any campaigns. So some of it is really, you know, more, more psychographic research that's, you know, conducted just through asking questions. Um, but a lot of it really comes with uh, automating things within marketing, doing data-driven content personalization. So, you know, we're, we're looking at custom customer data and then we, we're making sure that the content aligns with their specific needs, you know, so um, we can look at their past browsing behavior. We can look at their content consumption patterns or even just, you know, demographic information and then tailor it to that. We use marketing auto automation systems. I think probably most companies at this point do at this size. And so we can set up these drip campaigns or retargeted uh, you know, advertising around when they've opened an email or if they've clicked to open a certain document or video or watched a podcast. So um, we're just constantly setting up these nurture campaigns based on specific behaviors. And then, you know, consequently, we're able to analyze all that information on the back and say, all right, it looks like these touch points led to this in this amount of time, which is something that honestly wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have even thought to put that information together in the past. That's just not who I, what I used to have to do. And now I see the value in it so clearly, you know, if we have something, either something, you know, our security practice has just blown up so quickly. Obviously, we want to support that. Or on the other hand, when we acquire a company that has a practice that we would 
like to have blow up more quickly. You know, it's either something that's successful or something that we want to be successful. Um, we're really able to look at the data and say, here's what works. Let's let's use that in this scenario. I, I love how you outlined first of all, starting with customer feedback and and using surveys to do so, because I think a lot of people hear what you just described and it's it's what we all read in blog posts and it's what we all listen to on podcasts as to what we have to emulate from the Netflixes and the Spotify's of the world. But the question is, where do we start? And I, I think the idea of taking some of those surveys and I'm curious, I mean, you, you hit on as an example, the security element of your business or the segment of your business around security being so hot. I'm curious, just using that as an example, is that something that came from the survey? Is that something that came from the type of industries that were engaging and the data that you were able to do? How did you validate that and make the case for that double-clicked focus? I would love to say that it came from a marketing survey. That's what blew up our security practice, but <laughs> I don't think that's it, it, entirely it. Really, I mean, that comes, the success of any area within, you know, CDI comes from a variety of factors. Number one is just what's going on in the world. So unfortunately, ransomware attacks or, you know, it's just unbelievable. The You can read the news any day and see so many examples of this. And we actually joke around that this is, the one aspect of our business that our grandparents could understand, you know, like they see it on the news and you could explain to them how we can help, which is easier than explaining them, you know, DevSecOps or modern IT applications or something. So some of it is just based on what's happening in the world, but we're really lucky right now. This, this time for CDI is such a great moment because we're growing. We're definitely becoming, you know, a big grown-up company, but we are still able to function kind of like like the smaller company we were. We're very agile. So we have a group of brilliant people that I work with that are constantly, you know, staying on top of what's going on out there within our industry and determining where the focus should be, how we should pivot. And because we're still so agile, I mean, we were completely infrastructure focused for many years. And then all of a sudden it was, you know what we should be focusing on? the digital aspect. And all of a sudden, within three years, we have this completely full, robust team, you know, a line of business with over 150 people working in it because we just pivoted. And now security has been the next next iteration of that, really, where just watching what was going on out there, looking at the expertise needed, bringing in the right people to run it. It's just proving that our go-to-market team, which is made up, obviously, of, of leadership and and the sales leaders, as well as our um, office of the CTOs really have their pulse on what's coming next. So for, for all of us as marketers, the customer isn't our only customer. In fact, very often sales is our customer. We we don't we don't make a product. We're not product marketers. We need to support what they're saying is working to sell the expertise and the thought leadership. So we really have to trust that they know what's going on out there because we then take all our initiatives and wrap it around that. Um, and they haven't, they haven't let us astray yet. So that's great. Now you, you didn't get to CDI yesterday, but you, you speak the language of your buyer very fluently. That's, that's super clear. Uh, and I'm just clear. I'm curious with that, whether when you're hiring to this team, you, you spoke of having a lot of individuals on the team who can guide and understand this space, 
but on the marketing team and on that content and creation team, how important is that to have people who are industry experts coming in versus have the skills of marketing like you had coming in and can learn the space? How do you think about the importance of one versus the other when making your hires? So you you actually mentioned earlier that it would take a whole other podcast to talk about how I landed here coming out of most recently roofing manufacturing. And the truth is that CDI believes very strongly that obviously this does not apply to things that need certifications or to our CTOs, like a very technical job. But um, the, the personality and the fit means as much as anything else here. Um, and so do I did I know IT when I joined the, the company? No, but they, they felt that it was the right fit. Um, and obviously they were correct. I mean, I, it seems to be working out for everybody right now. Right. Um, but in terms of us hiring, I'm trying to think, I don't know anybody on the team who like grew up knowing they wanted to be in IT. Some of them have been in it longer than others, but you know, we have somebody who came to us from a sports background. We have last year, we had a teacher join us who like 10 years teaching and now she's on the marketing team running events and you would think she spent her entire education like her own education being learning it and event planning so i don't know that it's it's vital for within marketing within our team and we do have constant constant training i mean there are several mornings a week that we get to listen in along with the sales team on go-to-market strategy on um, we have these decks we call making sense of decks for some of the more complex uh, offerings we have. So we're in a constant state of learning and it takes a certain type of person, I think, to want to devote time outside of just doing your job, additional time in the day, in the morning, in the evening, on your own time to continue learning an industry that changes every second. You know, I mean, it's constantly changing. So that's just kind of part of our culture. Everybody here is is on all the time. I love, I actually really love that. And I love the link between, you know, this part of our discussion and, and right out of the gate, when you talked about the type of leader you need to be of allowing someone to do something they love, but allowing them to also experiment. And, and I think, you know, data is all about experimentation. So there's such a link in everything that you're talking about here. I, I think that data highlights these opportunities and, and, you know, it's no question from everything you're sharing and the growth that CDI's had that you're making the most of those. Alyssa, we're going to keep you around for a few more questions here, but one more quick break on the marketer's journey. As you hear Alyssa talk about this mindset about becoming a more data-driven marketer, I couldn't agree more. And there's a framework that you'll often hear me cite, and the idea is, how do we start with identifying through data so we can choose the right channels to attract someone and then ultimately engage them with the right content? But that all starts with leveraging data. Data helps us package the right content across the right channels. That's a big part, obviously, of what Uberflip does on the packaging of content, whether you're doing that at the top of the funnel for someone or the bottom. But the point is that people expect us to know their problems, know the problems we're trying to solve, and be there as a vendor who can speak with relevance. You'll hear Alyssa talk a little bit more about that as we get into some final questions here on The Marketer's Journey.
Alyssa, your journey is really unique and we've learned so much just about how you've adapted on this journey. I want your advice for the person who wants to be CMO and, and what leadership skill should they be double investing in right now at this point in their career? Wow. That's funny because everything that's coming to my mind right now is kind of a cliche. Number one, I guess I mentioned before, do the job you want even before you have it so that when you ask for it, it's a no brainer. You've already been doing it, which leads me to two. You don't get what you don't ask for. And I'm not kidding. I mean, I, I did the job and then I literally had a phone call and said, I'd really like to have the title of chief marketing officer. And there was a long pause and, and then, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like there was just no rebuttal there. There couldn't be one. So, um, I would say those two things are, they sound really simple, but if you asked Alyssa 20 years ago, neither one of those would have there. It's a real thing. I, I think they're so, I think it's a great answer because they're so linked. I mean, you, you just go and ask for something today and you're not demonstrating your ability to do it. Right. Someone's going to have doubts and, and you're given no doubts and you've done that. And, you know, the results show in your case for sure. Uh, that's a fantastic, fantastic advice. Um, so let's, let's stick on this trend and, but let's shift a little instead of advice to the way you, uh, handle inbound or outbound outreaches to you from other vendors. What breaks through your inbox, gets you to answer a phone call? You know, how, what is it about marketing that makes it break through for you? I would say, and obviously this is, you know, my personal thing that maybe not for everybody, for, for, for one is um, relevance. I mean, you really got to know the, the problem of the person you're writing to. So if it catches my eye because it's something that I'm like, yeah, we are kind of going through that. Um, what makes me not delete it? Usually some element of humor, uh, you know, that, that, that always gets it with me. Any typo or error with a mail merge or anything like that is like an automatic delete for me. You're out. I, I want to go a little deeper on that word relevance that you had in there and tie it to content. Um, what about the content? And you said that that's an important element of, of your approach and your strategy. But how can you tell when someone's reaching out to you if content is relevant? How can I tell if it's I mean, tr truly, if it's if it's addressing a problem that I am currently, if I'm not facing, it's something I either have faced or it's in the back of my mind that like we might face. So it's really just knowing, you know, okay, this is what a person in a marketing department in this industry might be facing. Um, it could be, you know, issues with, you know, integrating our automation system or for someone specifically like me, adjusting to a data-based way of doing things. You know, if it really, that that's something that I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm living that right now. So that would grab me. That's great. So, so really the ability to solve the problems at the end of the day is what you're looking for in that content. Uh, couldn't agree more. My last question for you, maybe the hardest one I'm going to ask you today, um, even though you've, you've clearly climbed some big mountains here, but how do you break from the grind of always feeling a need to be connected as a CMO and prioritizing whatever that might be in your life, family, health, simply yourself? I'm not great at it. I think that's part of like 
the, who how we're built the the, the people that kind of connect at CDI. But I will tell you that it is encouraged. I mean, when when we take PTO, there's like a joke that started with our CEO that he sends around. It's called the bat phone, and it's it's his wife's cell phone number. If you're going to reach him, you got to go through her. And it really cuts down on people reaching out to me while you're out. But for me, um, you know, honestly, it's just knowing that there's an incredible team who's handling things. And sometimes it's hard to really turn it off. But um, there's just such a capable group there um, that sometimes I actually miss them. And I'm checking in just because I I want like my day to day routine just to hear the same voices that I'm used to hearing. It's not because I, I can't let go. But really, I, I think it's just trust in the people you work with is how you how you can walk away for a little. It's a really great full circle way of, of summing up this episode and how you lead and, and how you've allowed everyone to take on the things they love and, and you know, test the waters with other sets of responsibility uh, and taking a step away. You got to be able to do that. So it's, it's a great last answer uh, for anyone who's tuned into this episode and caught all of the knowledge that Alyssa shared. Uh, check out all the other great episodes that we have. Every CMO's path is a little bit different. Yours is probably taking its own journey as you go. Maybe one day you'll be on here to share it until next time. Thanks to Alyssa and thank you to all of you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 